Welcome to Fintech Chatting presented by Tier 1 People, leaders in Fintech Executive Search. Follow us on your favorite podcast player or Fintech Chatter TV on YouTube. Welcome to Fintech Chatter, the show for everything fintech down under. I'm your host, Dexter Cousins, and today's guest is Julian Fayard from Loan Options. Julian, welcome to your Fintech Chatter debut. Thank you very much for having me, Dexter. It's an absolute honor and a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, shout out to Simon Lee, who kind of put us in contact and you know recommended you as a, a guest. Simon is my co-host on our FinTech News monthly kind of show that we put together. Um, and when we were chatting about the the next kind of generation of FinTech entrepreneurs, he said, you've got to get Julian on the show. So uh, excited to have you. Um, and I'm really looking forward to finding out more about loan options. Yeah, let's uh, let's dive in, eh? Yeah, sure. So first of all, tell, tell us what's the big problem that loan options solves? Well, I think uh, it's the the main one is transparency and access to financial products. Um, I think if you look at it like that, you know, if I uh, rewind a little bit, 2017, um, I started building the concept for this and the minimum viable product. I've been doing asset finance now for 12 years. And the one thing that I noticed it was in our industry is that we seem to be the only ones that uh, don't provide a quote before we provide the service. And, and that was always strange to me. I've got brothers in the building industry and that, you know, construction industry is kind of, um, people are quite hard on it sometimes, uh, but even they provide a quote before they provide their services. Yeah. And so that was always uh, something I couldn't really wrap Jeez, my even recruit us though, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so I was like, you know, you, you call up even now, even today, you walk into a dealership and you ask the finance manager at the dealership, what's my best rate? And they'll dance around that question uh, like you wouldn't believe. Mm. And it's literally the last thing they want to tell yeah. you. And um, there's, there's something really wrong about that. So I, I looked at it and was like, okay, there's a few problems that we need to solve to get to that point. But um, ultimately now within five, six seconds, you can get access to all of the best rates, uh, all of the information relating to the fees that are relevant to each individual lender, and you can apply with one application form for over 75 different lenders without impacting your credit score. Mm. So you don't need to shop around at multiple different places. You go to one spot, put your details in as you're entering in your information, information about your employment, your income, your expenses. The Loan Options AI algorithms are refining the results using uh, our matching engine and also our AI algorithms to provide so, the, the most probable match. 12 months ago... I wouldn't have really been making a big deal about AI. It all of a sudden became a massive deal. But I think those of us who've been around kind of long enough around technology, we're always using AI and it's only kind of come into the public conscious, I guess, over this last 12 months with chat GPT. Um, when you talk about AI, can you be like a little bit more specific? Because there's yeah. a lot of smoke and mirrors around it. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And, and AI is actually, you're, you're right about that. It's a broad category. So in, AI could be, even Excel formulas are AI, tech, yeah. technically speaking, right? If, and, or statements yeah. are AI. So inside AI, you have machine learning, and then inside, which is the subset, inside machine learning, you've got like deep learning and neural nets, right? Yeah. So it keeps, you know, honing down. And one of the other things that we've seen recently with chat GPT is like 
large language models or yeah. LLMs. Um, they're AI as well. They're predictive text and all these kinds of things. They're all versions or um, subsets of AI. Specifically, what we're looking at is um, like neural nets and machine learning algorithms that are providing a probability of approval for certain um, lenders, providing a probability of settlement, providing things like the likelihood that that lender is the best match based on historical data. Yeah. So essentially how it works is we've set up a data pipeline of all of the scenarios that get run with our clients, all of the successful funded loans. Um, we've got, you know, tens of thousands of uh, rows of, of data, both successful, hundreds of thousands of rows of data uh, for both successful outcomes and unsuccessful outcomes. And that feeds into learn uh, over and over again, you know, it's a reinforcement learning process where every time a loan settles, it's updating the the pipeline, the data mm -hmm. pipeline, and you know, thus making the the algorithms more and more accurate as yeah. we go along. So, when we first started, were they super accurate? Not really, but that's kind of the point. You got to start yeah. somewhere. Um, and so, uh, what we, I was overly optimistic about AI very early on. Um, when I left school, I was studying web development and. Um, in there, there was some courses around AI and I was got super obsessed with it and thought this is going to be the biggest game changer ever. But I guess I um, I was wrong about the timeline yeah. and how, how fast it would come about. Um, and so, yeah, I guess in, in that sense, uh, we've been I've been obsessed with AI for a very long time, uh, the last six years in particular. Um, and so, you know, the... The matching engine didn't start as AI. It started as just logic, you know, yeah. credit, credit, um, it was effectively a credit engine. We took the lenders that we had on our panel and we reverse engineered their credit policies to decision alone. And then I thought, how could we make this better? And I thought AI could do a better job because really I was looking at myself, I was doing that process manual. Yeah. So the selection of a, of a lender is actually quite a manual process. Yeah. Um, and even the best brokers in the country still do that quite a fair bit manually. Um, so yeah, I guess, um, from my perspective, it was like, what can, what, what's the next evolution of this? And I really thought AI would replace the credit rules because those credit rules are really difficult to update and maintain. Mm. Um, and when we tried running it just with the AI alone, uh, we didn't get the result we were looking for. Um, and there was one specific example where a lender made wholesale changes to their credit policy and then they weren't showing up in some of the scenarios. And I was like, okay, well, by itself, with the level of data that we have, this is not sufficient. So I think we need to do a hybrid model. Mm. So that's what we've settled on. We've settled on basic things like minimum and maximum loan term. Yeah. A credit rule can do a far better job because it's quite binary. But AI can do a fantastic job of capturing things that maybe aren't necessarily in credit policy. It can capture the gray area that's just outside the credit policy and also identify areas that are inside credit policy but are high risk. Mm. Uh, and so we can feed that back to, to the lenders and, and help them improve their risk models over time uh, as well. So It's fascinating you share that because I remember 2016, 2017 and kind of AI was the buzz back then as well, right? And um, at the time it was chatbots. And yeah, it's 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 just fascinating to hear you talk about the you know the the kind of gradual kind of evolution of technology. And I always like to think of it the analogy of you know um, the, my kids now what they've got in terms of digital entertainment on you know streaming anytime anywhere anything they want. When I was their age, I had a 
t- black and white TV in a bedroom <laughs> with three channels, cassette tape and a radio, right? And that was my kind of in-house entertainment. And it didn't go from that to streaming over overnight. It went to CD, you know, VHS, DVD, USB you know, mini, mini disc moment, right? Yeah. I bought a mini disc and then it went to USB and MP3 player, right? Yeah. Like pretty much, you know, kind of the within about a year of buying a mini disc player. And it's kind of amazing that that was the tipping point where we went from kind of analog doubling and digital to then go on this fully digital path. Yeah, and um, my perspective is that, you know, there's a great saying that says you can overestimate how much you can achieve in a year and underestimate how much you can achieve in 10. And I think AI is a perfect example of that. I overestimated what it could achieve in a year. And I think um, like ChatGPT is great because now it's brought it into the mainstream. It's made so many great, powerful tools really accessible, um, not just through ChatGPT, but even other providers. Like you can create artwork now, you can create logos, you can create... Um, you know, all kinds of different things um, that just streamline business operations. Mm. You can create a process manual off a set of bullet points and it will write a 30-page SOP for you. You know, like it's just really great what, what, we're, um, what we're able to do with it already. I'm more excited about what, yeah. what's still to come. So. so let's talk about where you're at now with loan options. First of all, how, how many people are in the business? Um, yeah, there's... Uh, Loan options, we got two businesses. So one's UX and one's Loan Options AI combined as nearly 60 people. Plus we've got 20 people in a call center. Um, so all up nearly 80. Loan options accounts for about half of that. So I would say like about 40 people. Right. Yeah. And in terms of, I guess, yeah, kind of um, the, the the model and the revenue model, are you act, acting as a broker? Are you underwriting loans yourself? No, um, so we're, yeah, we're a broker model. So we're not actually writing the loans ourselves. We're facilitating the loans through whatever uh, lending option, completely unbiased, um, is, is the best for that customer. So they give us, you know, their information through the application form. And as, um, as they're entering it in real time, they're getting feedback about which lenders are, are, are able to do their specific circumstances and what the pricing is. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a comparison site. It's far more advanced than that. Um, when we first launched, the messaging we were using was an intelligent marketplace and, um, you know, or an intelligent comparison site because it doesn't just say from XYZ percentage rate. It's actually giving them the real rate that they'll deserve and qualify for. Um, but, yeah, so our commission, uh, our, we get paid commission from the lenders uh, for successful outcomes. So. I really like that business model because if we don't deliver value to the client, save them money, get them a great deal, we don't get paid. Yeah. And so our incentive is to make sure that we deliver value to the yeah. client and uh, and they'll obviously, um, they don't, it doesn't cost them anything, there's yeah. no risk for and, them. And obviously from your side, you know, if you're going underwriting loans, there's a massive risk, right? The amount of capital yeah. you've got to have or, you know, all of those That's the big one, capital. Yeah. I think, you know... Um, yeah, when you're when you're bootstrapping a business, I think um, you've got to be obviously super weary about things that are capital intensive. Uh, if we wanted to become a lender right away, we would need a significant amount of capital, um, which we don't currently have access to. Um, however, it would be on our roadmap. Um, the reason I say that is I'm not saying we would want to capture market share from existing lenders. Right, who are our partners, our value partners. But we'd look to build a product that solves um, issues that aren't currently being solved. So really look at, and there's lots of great technologies. I just think um, 
giving customers flexibility. I'll give you one example. So we see a lot of customers that, you know, they got paid late from their boss or, you know, whatever it is, the reason is they had money come out of their account that they weren't expected. They dishonor on a payment. They have the money. It's in a different account or, you know, they can transfer it or they'll get paid the next day. But like right now with the current technology, it just gives them a dishonor fee. It reflects poorly on their credit file yeah. and, and things like that. But with technologies like um, pay to and, you know, real-time direct debit services, like you can actually wait for them to get paid and then take when there's enough money in the account, take yeah. the payment. So um, solving some of those problems that are like pain points for customers and then they have to get on the phone and wait on hold to fix it. And, you know, um, I would look to build a product that would be solving a lot of those pain yeah. point issues, make sure it's full digital end-to-end, give them access to funds, probably give them access to a revolving facility because we're seeing that um, a lot of facilities just have a, an end date and then, you know, kind of they still need access to the funds beyond that mm. uh, end date. So as they pay it down, they can draw back down. Yeah. There aren't a lot of facilities on the in the consumer space that you can do that. So we would look to solve a problem, not to step on people's toes, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, one of you talked about the kind of credit decisioning models and it's probably the, one of the biggest frustrations that I just have with the, the you know, fintech industry in general is we're not jumping on this. Um, as a small business owner, you know, and kind of considering myself to be fairly successful when it comes to credit and it comes to loan applications, it's kind of the bane of my life, right? And I feel like I'm a pauper and, you know, kind of peasant on the streets rather than a successful business Isn't person, yeah. right? Um, I'd add on to that the days and days of paperwork and providing information that I've given like three different ways, sliced up and three different, and it's such a, you know, it's it's then the added frustration of, hey, you've taken my time out of the business and now, if, you know, to, to do your job. What, what do you see as being the kind of some of the still low-hanging fruit that are there for entrepreneurs like yourself that can come in and kind of start to fix these problems? Yeah, look, it's a really good question. And yeah, I speak to business owners like all day, every day, and not necessarily tech founders. I speak to people from every industry um, and understanding that, you know, like at the moment, construction's obviously gone through a bit of a, a difficult time. And there are other industries of uh, food and hospitality that have had, you know, real big struggles in recent times with, you know, um, the pandemic and things like that. Um, people need firstly to be um, aware of what options are available to themselves. So one of the things we're doing in our business is um, we've set up a, an academy and we're going to build, it's a slow project, but it's one that we're going to continue to power through, set up a bunch of resources, just educating business owners on what options are available. That's the first thing. Yeah. If you've got a, a supplier who pays you really slow or um, you need access to that money really quickly because you need to, you know, buy more stock, you can sell to someone else. Um, there are solutions available and, you know, it's not the sort of inside the box bank, um, you know, lots of paperwork, lots of headache process. There's a lot of really great fintech businesses out there that are solving some of those problems. And in terms of the low hanging fruit, I think, um, you know, uh, th there's a lot of uh, already great products. I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel here. I just think we need to raise awareness about it. Yeah, Prosper's doing a great job with SME Capital Shift, doing a great job. Lumi, there's a lot of these SME working capital lenders that are uh, innovating with new products like yeah. lines of credit so that facilities are revolving. Um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot better tech coming out with uh, regards to like invoice and data finance. 
uh, where they can just connect to their Xero or MYB or accounting package if they're with QuickBooks or, or any other. Um, and that can allow them, once they raise the invoice to a, an approved supplier, to get paid the same day. And then when they actually receive the funds, give away a very small percentage of that invoice. Mm. But when you make those things digital, um, uh, the whole process becomes easier. If you, if, you, if you have to manually provide invoices and send email, it's just not um, a, that attractive for business yeah. owners who are very busy. But the minute you can connect to an accounting package, set it up once, and then every time just in the normal course of business you're creating or raising an invoice, um, you can receive the funds the next day so that you can continue to grow your business without worrying. Yeah. And on, on the consumer side, um, you know, CDR, it continues to... You know, kind of frustrate, I think, the industry um, yes. and, and challenges. And look, there's unfortunately businesses who've gone out and, you know, you know, tried and failed mainly because they were seeing, you know, potentially the opportunity in CDR and it's just taken so long to get traction with it. Do you kind of see it as a, a, a kind of catalyst for further growth for loan options? Or are you yeah. building just without that in mind? Well, we, no, we absolutely. Um, so definitely I think the future of finance is not just, uh, is CDR, but, you know, we're talking about all the, the subsets of that, like whether it's open banking, open finance, you know, yeah. all the way down the line. We've still got a long way to go. For example, right now in my business, I can't even use CDR data and send it to the lenders. Just the way that the um, legislation is structured, um, asset. it's not clear whether asset finance brokers which is the class that we fall mm. under. We're not mortgage brokers. We don't do property lending. It's not clear whether we're also considered trusted advisors. And the model is like you can be a trusted advisor of one lender, maybe a few, but um, not 75 like we are. And most of the 75 lenders aren't CDR ready, which yep. is, which is um, annoying because if we can't share the data with them, if they're not providers, then they can't be receivers. Yeah. Um, so we can't, even if we got the client to do the CDR process, we can't actually use that in our business now. We have to use the screen scraping um, technology because the lenders accept that. Um, we've got a separate use case that we're bubbling away on on the side. We started that project that will use CDR mm. data. We're very excited about that. And I'm thinking um, that's going to be more of a customer nurture, customer education, financial wellness project. Yeah. Um, and less to do with the day-to-day, you know, settling loans and submitting for credit approval, so to speak. But um, it's definitely the future. I think it, it makes sense. I, I don't – I think we need to be really careful in, with regard to how we regulate and make sure that we've got more private enterprise in control of these projects yeah. and less government. I yeah. think the government can be overly burdensome with how they – and very slow to move – and um, lots of red tape, lots yeah. of bureaucracy and not really long-term strategic thinking. Yeah, like, I mean, focus on a, an election cycle. And I think as an industry, we I wouldn't say s- s- try and self-regulate, but we should, you know, try and be better at creating a community or, an, uh, you know, um, advisory committees that are steering the yeah. direction ex- external of the government. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that, I believe that that should be the way things are done is because as entrepreneurs, as we can get things done a lot faster. Yep. You know, yes, we don't have the, the, the capital and the unlimited uh, printing press that the government has, but, you know, perhaps we could lobby the government to get, um, you know, I guess the right amount of capital invested in these big... This is an infrastructure project. Yeah, CDR is not a tech project. It's an infrastructure. You've got legacy banks 
um, legacy uh, banking software, um, you've got so many things to deal with there, right? Um, so uh, having, uh, you know, startups, companies, entrepreneurs solve these problems because they can move and be a lot more nimble and, you know, fail fast and move on to the next thing, um, I think is the right solution. We just need to come together a little bit more as a community and, and decide mm. so that we can all get on the same page. It's difficult because everyone's got a different competing agenda and um, I understand all of that, but maybe I'm just optimistic. I think we can. I think we could be doing a better job um, yeah, like and less relying on on them for actually providing the guidance and this and um, relying on them to solve the problem. We just need to basically give them what we think is good legislation yeah. and just let them, you know, pass it. Right. That's uh, the less they get involved, the faster everything will happen. Like, what was it that drove you to launch your own business? Yeah, wow, that's a good question. Um, that's a great question. Look, I think I was always very driven. I always knew that I wanted to be successful at whatever I wanted to do. I have a the personality of someone who commits 100% or nothing at all. I don't have the halfway button. Um, I'm like the old style light switches that are either on or off. I don't have the the dimming yeah. switch. So I was interested in very small amount of things, but everything I was interested in, I was interested in a lot. And IT was one of them. Um, cars is another one and that really hasn't yeah. left me. You can see <laughs> from the office we've got a racing simulator and, you know, we've got um, a lot of uh, the speed DNA through our business. Yeah. You know, in terms so you're of a Formula One guy? or Formula One yeah. guy, yeah. One of our giveaways um, for new partnerships is a Formula One experience next year um, in Melbourne. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, we hosted a track day, a fi- battle of the fast fintechs track day. Got some great footage and great participation from some of the fintech lenders there as well. So we're, we're all about that. But um, at the time I left school, I was studying web development. I... F- um, finance was my backup career. I just thought like it wasn't as interesting to me as um, web development. Uh, and then I I've, was studying full-time, obviously needed to work. Um, so I uh, got a job full-time and um, very quickly I, I moved up through the ranks and I got to a point where I was like full-time work, full-time study. It was really hard. And um, I, so I was like, okay, I'm going to put the, the web development course on hold I'll come back to that. I'm going to see what I can achieve here in, in finance. I was making great money coming from very humble beginnings. That was, um, you know, I was probably, in, you know, in, in 12, 18, 24 months making more money than I probably thought I ever could. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay, um, so what's next? I went from being a finance broker to a, you know, oh, a junior finance broker to a finance broker to a senior broker to a group um, manager to a state manager, Um so I helped scale the business. It was someone else's business, but I, I, I treated it as if it was my own. And I, every business, like I said, I only have a hundred percent setting. I, I either I'm there and I'm one hundred percent committed, or I'm I'm gone. And um, I got to a point where the I'd maybe outgrown. So an opportunity came up. Auto Approve was an automotive finance specialist, um, and we were looking to get a platform to, I guess, use tech to distribute automotive finance. Uh, our main clients were car dealerships. We scaled, scaled that business. I was the first employee and um, we, we grew that to probably about half the size loan options is now. Um, so uh, at the time it was quite a big player, but um, when COVID hit, 
they wanted to hibernate the business. It got acquired by an ASEX listed business. And, um, but yeah, I, I was the general manager of that business. And then I'd kind of, again, was just not being listened to. They wanted to hibernate a business that was performing okay, pretty well, had lots of potential. And so, yeah, I started again. I started right. again. I had to. Um, so I, when did you start loan options? August 1st, 2020. So just had our third birthday. Yeah. And so uh, whilst it is a, um, it was and is a startup or now it's kind of moving past that. But, um, you know, I, I had been building my network for years before that. You know? mm. So there's a great saying that said you should be building your network long before you ever need it. Yeah. And um, so I did, all, I did everything I possibly could to, even though um, you spoke about uh, like giving bef- without any expectation of receiving, that's I pretty much built my career on that philosophy, yeah. always giving, always being there for people who need it, always giving advice where I think I can add value. Um, and so when, when I started my own business, things were a bit different. I got mm-hmm. to make my own decisions. Um, I ended up doing an equity swap um, because uh, with uh, now it's called UX, my business partner Simon and Grant uh, at the time. And uh, that was because they had a software company and we were going to have an exchange of value. I was giving them equity and loan options, told them that they knew about the vision and what we were trying to achieve. And they had an asset finance CRM, which is, I guess, like the the workhorse of how we do the facilitation of loans. Mm. You need a really good uh, seamless system. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about that because that is such a great approach to have to growing a business. Pretty much, yeah, ninety nine percent of founders will be taught go out have an idea if you're a non-tech founder find a tech founder and it's so hard right like it's like so hard so hard and then you know you kind of you you're you know it's you know you bring it you bring it in you know you you look to raise money you look to hire someone you give them some equity then they've got to go and hire all these people and build the solution Whereas you've just gone out and gone found the solution and then kind of done what you have to do anyway to get a, a tech founder across as well. And look, I'm being totally honest here. Um, I don't know that it was that deliberate. At the time, I felt like we were years, like I had started this in 2017, building the MVP. I built mm. the MVP myself. We were using it for three years with great success. I knew the potential it had and... Um, one of the promises that was broken by the previous company that um, bought that business was that they were going to invest and build the technology. Yeah. And I was prepared to hand over my intellectual property. Right. If they were going to build it for the benefit of the business, you know. Um, and so when when I started Loan Options, I felt like I was three years behind now. I had to, I had to start again. And so I was like, I need to try and get this to the market as fast as possible. Because, mm. you know, people that were trying to copy the ideas, that seen it, that people from lenders that, I'd shown it to, left to join our competitors and things like that. It was all kinds of weird stuff was happening. Um, so I was like, okay, we need to get this to market quick. And that was why one of the reasons why I made the decision. I'm like, they've got a, a working product that can integrate nicely. Yeah. Um, they understand the industry. They have the, the developers there. Um, and I can bring my IP to the table to enhance their product as well as build out our own and their product will enhance ours as well. So it was more about who can I partner with to bring this to life in the fastest way possible because I don't have endless stream of capital. I literally, to start loan options, um, I uh, drew out uh, during COVID, they were letting you take super out. I took money out of my super 
to start loan options. That was, um, I haven't really told many people that, but uh, that was that's the truth. I, I there, there wasn't a lot of money, so I was very, very uh, calculated with how I was going to spend mm-hmm. that money. Um, I did everything to MVP level to get it generating revenue, like website, MVP, let it generate revenue to the point where it's generating enough that I can then invest in that thing. And that's pretty much the approach I took to all things. So um, if I was building out a channel uh, before I went and, you know, put on a, someone to, to uh, a resource to support that channel, I wanted to see if I could gen- get it to generate enough revenue to support a resource in that yeah. channel and then help grow it. Um, and that's really how we were very lean. We started in an, an office that's ha- half the size of this. And we had four offices in 18 months or something because um, we, we, it grew very quickly. And I think the, a big part of that was that we were doing things very differently to the rest of the industry. Um, there's so many things I could go into there, but you know, essentially uh, it's so easy to to get cut through or to make noise or when everything's like a breath of fresh air, you know, the vision for the business was different to everything else. The the way we spoke to customers or was different to everything else. Um, the transparency, the integrity piece, you know, would often tell customers you're better off in your existing loan. We're not going to refinance it for you. And people like, if you, and I, you know, a lot of people listening to this go, okay, well, it'd be like a builder saying, yeah, I could renovate your house, but I'm going to do a worse job than it currently mm-hmm. is. So we, let's just leave it the way it is. We'll give it a coat of paint and that's it. You know, um, it's going to cost you a lot of money for not much improvement. So um, just that approach and people really resonated with it. So um, that's part of the success. Um, but making good decisions when you start, especially when you're bootstrapped, there's not a lot of room for error. You know, a couple of bad months in a row, you can burn through all of your money and then, you know, have to sell your house or, you know, whatever. Um, and you've got a lot of responsibility. You know, we've got, um, God, yeah, the, the payroll every week. Like you just think yeah. about how many mouths we're, we've, we're responsible for and their families and their mortgages and everything else. Like it's, it's very, very stressful. But yeah. um, if you're smart about it you, and you don't take too many risks too quickly and you focus on things that are going to... Um, generate revenue quickly and not over-invest in projects. Our first version of the tech is not what you currently see. Mm. That's iteration three. Yeah. You know? um, but we built it to get it to the point where we thought it's going to do 70 or 80% of what we need it to do in terms of the long-term vision, but we didn't over-invest in the, in the product, uh, in building the product or the tech. And so now it's been generating revenue um, for the last couple of years at a tech level and then we're going to launch the next version in the next eight to 12 weeks. But that's only because the previous version has given us the ability to invest again mm. in that tech. So if it's not making you money, you've got to figure out very quickly what to do with it. Yeah. Um, so on that point, um, you know, dealing with stress, dealing with mental health, certainly in this last 12 months as, you know, the market's kind of you know, capitulated for, for many founders and it's become more and more difficult. And, you know, those challenges that you talked about are, are really starting to have an impact on people and their mental health. What have you done to kind of keep yourself in a, you know, in a state that you you can go, you, you mentioned you kind of, you're either on or off, mm. you know, that must be exhausting, right, as well. So how do you keep yourself mentally and physically well 
and in shape that you can do that and whilst having the burden of that that responsibility and 60 mouths to feed and payroll every month yeah. it's um it's a good question i think for what works for me may not necessarily work for other people but i have a really disciplined approach to making sure i exercise to the point of exhaustion that gets rid of a lot of angst um, and i do that before i start the day um, so, so I think physical exercise and staying physically in, in good health mm-hmm. uh, and feeling really good about yourself is, is very, very helpful. It also, um, you know, improves your mood and, you know, it's all, I'm not making that up. It's yep. all proven now, but, um, so that's, so that's one thing I, I do think people in order to have good mental health, you, you should be focusing on your physical health, your nutrition and things like that. Comes to this this is where we get the athletic green sponsorship. It's actually Julian. It's actually my claim to fame, right? I will never spruik athletic greens on this show. <laughs> <laughs> the only podcast out there that doesn't sponsor it isn't sponsored by athletic, athletic greens. greens yeah. <laughs> God. Um, so, uh, so, so yeah, physical health. I, I think there's um, a few other things that, that should be mentioned, right? Um, uh, for me, the thing that works really good in terms of managing my um, like all the stress and, and things like that is you've got to find um, something like a, whether it's a, a hobby or a passion or a, or a uh, something where you can have the moment to switch off. Mm-hmm. So for me, recently that's been golf. It's like the only thing that I do really where I'm not thinking about yep. work and I play with my brothers and some people from the industry and things like that and, and I, I'm not good. You know, I'm, I'm, I still suck, but uh, but it's just a great outlet. So yeah. you've got to have an outlet. For some people that might be going to a day spa, getting a massage, mm. or for some people that might be maybe going for a run is their outlet or art or whatever that might be. Yeah. So you need to have an outlet. You need to have a good network of people that are like-minded. So uh, for me, that's been CUB, Club of United Business. Yeah. And that's just all entrepreneurs that are all on the same wavelength as me, all going through similar things to me. You know, um, uh, it's a great it's a great way to to have people that understand. If I went to a family barbecue and tried to explain some of the stresses that I have in this business, there's probably next to zero percent chance that people understand what I'm talking yeah. about. You know, because how many fintech bootstrap startups? Are there? They're, yeah. I mean, these days there's, there's there ain't a lot, um, and I think we should be trying to, um, you know, to to go back to building businesses that are sensible and viable from day one. Yeah. You know, first month we were profitable, so um, I don't know how many fintech startups can say that, but it's because we managed costs really well in the early days, um, and we only scaled up. We took the step. Uh, to scale up our costs and marketing and everything only once the business was ready to do that. But yeah, just going back to what I think, I think exercise for me, um, I do jujitsu, martial arts. There's a few things in there with um, that are really good about discipline and controlling mm. your emotions, you know, during those times of stress that are really helpful for me. Um, and having a network that's not just family because um, my wife's very supportive. My daughter thinks I'm, a superhero, literally, um, and my son, he's still a bit too young. But How old's your daughter? Five, yeah. And your son? Uh, he's three, yeah. So yeah. my daughter, can't, I bring her to the office, I try and get her involved and understanding very much like you said yeah. with, with your daughter and, um, you know, she's still very, very young but I wanted to understand those principles of like hard work yeah. and um, 
you know, you're able to achieve whatever you want to do um, as long as you commit right, and be disciplined with your, your actions and your... So, um, so my wife's very supportive. My, my kid's very supportive. Love that. But there is another level or of support that you need which is more relevant to business and yep. difficulty with whether it's staff or hiring people or, you know, a partnership that's not going well or, you know, whatever it is, there needs to be somebody who's under, under, who understands that and has been through that mm. and that can give you the hindsight. Yeah. It's such a big advantage in business yeah. to have people that have been through it all before you and can say, well, here's what I did to solve the yeah. problem or in hindsight, here's what I wish I did but now I'm telling you that you can mm. do that. Um, I think so that's actually one of my kind of personal frustrations that I've got with the the industry and the ecosystem at present, Julian, is there's a lot of people out there claiming to be advisors who haven't really experienced growing a business and doing any of those things and then are out there kind of, you know, charging people for advice, which is literally the worst advice you can get. Yeah, I've seen and yet, some bad ones. Yeah, and yet you've got people who have experienced everything who would never ask for money for yeah. <laughs> advice, right, and kind of give it freely. And they're what I call the credible people, right? They've been there, they've seen it and done it, not just once but maybe just twice or three times. And so they kind of the guidance and the advice that you get from them not only is it helpful, but you know you kind of you're getting shown a path forward, yeah. right? Where you feel it, uh, you know, you kind of start to move out of a state where you're feeling desperate and alone to one where you start to feel empowered because you know that hey, it's not just me. And I see this all the time, you know, when I'm speaking with founders and CEOs and execs, and they think that the problem that they're experiencing right then, they're the only one experiencing it. And when I share that, actually, your competitors have got the same problem. And they might be on LinkedIn saying we're you know, smoking it, yeah, but yeah. they ain't, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> They're right. getting burned out like you are. And I think it's kind of to just to know that, you know, one of the challenges we've got in society is, as you pointed out earlier, you know, we, we've kind of been building these businesses on a falsehood, right? And a kind of a, con a false economy oh, as well, yeah. like you're just going to keep getting capital. And it's, it's set up this, you know, kind of these expectations now that, you're a failure if you sell your business for $50 million. <laughs> what? That's crazy. That's, kinda, that's great, right? That's crazy. That's a, yeah, but it's it's kind of, it's reassuring to hear that, you know, you're able to get that kind of support and guidance and, and advice outside of, you know, family or outside of your kind of work network and immediate network. Yeah, I, I think it's been really helpful. And um, the other thing I'll say that I've learned in, in my journey is that... Um, there is always going to be a little bit of like that, um, I don't know if you want to call it, tall poppy syndrome. So, Yeah, it, look, um, it's, it's rife, right? I mean, you've only got to look Australia at Australia media. It's terrible, man. Right? So, so um, focus on the things that, that you can control and don't worry about the noise. That's something I learned, you know, in this journey is like as long as you focus on things that are in your direct control, um, then everything will be all right, mm. you know. So... The, the everything else, the noise, the, you know, the LinkedIn, like we're, we're pretty active on LinkedIn, so I'm making fun of myself here. But, um, you know, all the rest of it, it's just, it's just noise or it's just marketing or it's just, you know, people that are, you know, trying to chop you down. Yeah. Um, you know, it's that tall poppy syndrome or yeah. whatever. Um, so if you just 
every day you look, instead of worrying about what's going on in the world, you just focus on what are the next five things that I can do mm. today, tomorrow, the next day um, that's going to put me on my path to or put me closer towards my goals, whatever they are, whether yeah. it's a 50 million valuation or a, you know, and it's funny that um, like these days, uh, you know, if you asked yourself when you're a kid, you know, if you sold a business for $50 million, you know, would you be happy? There would be no, there would be nobody there that would say, yeah. um, you know, oh, wow, like oh, that's not good enough. I think people get too caught up in the this is a unicorn, that's a unicorn. Yeah. At the end of the day, it, it, if you're really good at what you do and you sell a business for $50 million and you sell it really quickly, uh, for $50 million and, you know, you can move on to the next thing. Yeah. If you are really good at what yeah. you do and you believe in your abilities, you can create a whole bunch of $50 million. Instead of one big yeah. unicorn that may not never happen, yeah. you can put a whole bunch of $50 million. Look, and the, the, the reality is, right, if you're that person, then any way that you're going to be, you know, retiring early <laughs> and playing golf, you might go and do it for three months, right, and you're going to be on the golf course going i got to go and build something, right? 100%. <laughs> well, that's that's um, that's the part because I, I make a joke uh, and everyone laughs at me because they, I said that, you know, like one of my goals is, you know, I'd like to be retired by, you know, the the, the stretch goal is 35 and I'm 31 now. So, and the, 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 the hard uh, line would be 40. And they're like, what do you mean retire? You're never going to retire. I know you, you haven't stopped working a day in your life. And, um, I don't actually mean retired as in not doing anything. I just mean being able to work by choice. But yeah. I always get laughed at when I, even when I suggest that I'm going to take a long weekend away because I haven't really had any time off since my honeymoon, which was seven years ago, nearly eight years ago. Mm. So um, uh, they always laugh. You yeah. Know, they're like, yeah, I'll see that. When I see you in the Bahamas drinking cocktails, retired, then I'll believe it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're coming to a wrap. I just want to quickly talk about your podcast. Um, yeah. Where can people listen to it? Yeah, so we've got um, a YouTube channel, uh, the Learn Options AI YouTube channel. We've got um, a playlist in there that's got all of our podcasts that we're recording. And and really what we're trying to do there is is um, collect people from the fintech uh, industry, have great conversations, uh, teach people about money. Uh, so we've had some good guests about financial wellness and also the entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial journeys. So anyone with a good story really doesn't even have to have um, uh, it doesn't have to be relevant to business uh, athletes or, or anyone who's got a unique story. I love listening to that and extracting that from mm. people, letting them tell their story. So now Julian, we have some amazing talent listening to this podcast. I'm sure some of them would have been inspired by the conversation that we've had today. If they're interested in a career at loan options, what's the, where's the best place for them to go and find out more? Yeah. Um, so on our website, we have a careers page dedicated, tells a little bit, uh, tells people a little bit about how we do things. Um, and they can just, um, put in an inquiry there that lands straight in my, um, inbox. So I'll be seeing all of those and also, um, uh, just DM me on LinkedIn or connect with me on LinkedIn. It's a good, good way to do it. Awesome. Well, Julian, it's been fantastic to hear about the loan options story. Thanks for joining me today. And, and thanks for inviting me to your amazing offices. Um, really cool, I have to say. <laughs> Pretty envious. Welcome anytime. Thank you so much, Dex. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me. As always, folks, you can catch up with me on LinkedIn and Twitter. 
if you're new to the show, make sure that you give us a follow on your podcast player and leave us a review. It really helps me promote great founders like Julian to a global audience we'll listen to in over 40 countries. If you're coming back, thanks so much for your support. It really does mean a lot. Until the next episode, keep well. Fintech Chatter is produced by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. We'll find world-class leadership talent to build world-class fintech ventures. And you can find us at tier1people.com.